Monday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Monday night. You know, it's not it's not the usual Sunday night, but we will have to make do because Jake uh, Jake was a little, you know, worse for wear yesterday. Needed needed a little time off to to recuperate from from a, from a, a Vegas trip. Let's just call it what it is, a Vegas yeah, trip. Yeah, a good a good friend of mine got married out in Vegas. Shouts to Matt if he ever ever hears this or ever would listen to this, but uh <laughs> really really wonderful time. Definitely had a Fair amount of the adult beverages, and uh, as hockey players say, right? I was uh, playing guilty yesterday, right? Isn't that a saying? <laughs> yes. I, th- yes. I think. I think. So, but that, but that means you're playing well, though, doesn't it? I guess. I don't know. But regardless, and overall, we may actually have a full-on shift coming to, to Mondays anyways for this show, depending on how our beer league schedule goes. Yeah. So get ready for it, folks. I just wanted to put you on blast. I know. And any. Just to put you on blast right now, um, <laughs> wow! Everyone in the Twitch chat, please be kind to Felix. Oh he, yeah, he. I, I am putting this out there beforehand. Felix has not watched the the Leafs Habs game. He is going to watch it after this. He does not want to be spoiled. So any questions that you ask that are pertaining to that series or that game, if you ask them, will not get answered. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I may just not look at the Twitch chat. I'm sorry, folks. I'm gonna rely on Jake. I mean, I, I'm not always the best at looking at it anyway. I'm hundred percent honest. But for today, I'm gonna have to avoid it. But today's show is gonna be a fun one because we already had an idea of what we were gonna talk about, which isn't always the case. But it was this time in the off season. I think we're gonna try a little harder to have a theme for each show, since you know the, the news may be kind of up and down. But the Ducks actually gifted us a topic today. A very yeah, interesting they did. Topic. Yeah, very interesting topic. The Ducks hired a new assistant GM, a vice president, executive vice president of hockey operations. And that is very interesting because we talked on the last show about David McNabb's retirement. And so Jeff Solomon comes in to replace David McNabb as essentially the cap guru, the, and- the go-to guy for all things CBA. Yep, and for those that don't know, Jeff Solomon had been working in the LA Kings organization from 06-07 until now. His title over in that organization was he was an executive vice president of hockey operations and legal affairs. Prior to joining the Kings, he was a player agent for about 20 years, uh, representing the likes of Tony Granato, Steve Sullivan, Brian McCabe. And prior to that, he was actually a uh, lawyer in tax and estate. Is that right? Yes. Um, and so he has his uh, Juris Doctorate from the University of San Diego. And so very, very smart guy by all accounts has been not only worked, has not only worked within hockey, he's worked in other different types of things with accounting and different things like that. Been on the player side of it, been on the, uh, the team side of it. And really seems like he's a smart guy that kind of has been in the weeds on a lot of different things, running the LA Kings cap over, uh, what can be one of their most successful periods, 06, 07 until currently. Um, definitely there are maybe some contracts that would not have been uh, the best ever with like the Jonathan Quick deal, different things like that. But I think in that same breath, you need to give him credit that he was able to negotiate and uh, or to navigate the, the cap um, complications that came from those deals and kept the LA Kings contending throughout all of that. And they also had dealt... Um, uh, how I don't know how many uh, people out there remember this, but the Slava Voynov situation was very tough on their salary cap situation. Same thing with the Mike Richards situation really caused some headaches there. And he was the guy at the head of it all for the Kings, putting that uh, essentially keeping the boat running in the right direction, keeping the ship sailing and staying cap compliant um, all throughout that process. And I believe also dealt with things like um, 
salary arbitration, some contract negotiations, RFAs. And so it sounds as if uh, he's going to be in a very, very similar situation uh, when he joins the Ducks. Uh, The biggest thing is he's uh, now going to be an assistant general manager. And that was a title that he did not have in LA. Yeah. And just kind of texting people that cover the Kings, it sounds like that's that's what he wanted in LA and that he just wasn't going to get with the way that their structure was kind of set up with their management chain. And so looking at just the language here, the, the, the articles have been written about it. You know, there was a mutual parting of ways between the LA Kings and Jeff Solomon. So I think that this is a big win for the ducks. We were just talking about this last week about what kind of person the ducks need yeah. in that chair. And this is almost to I- a T what we were talking about I'm, last week. I'm, I'm pretty sure I said a lawyer would be fantastic, an accountant would be fantastic, yeah. someone good with you numbers. Also, you also snuck an engineer. Just, I did. Uh, I did. <laughs> I did. You know? Have hey, to. that's fine. But, but like, that checks the boxes. Lawyer and had dealt with tax. Like, those are, that is the exact type of person, someone that can get into the minutia of the CBA. Complicated stuff. The, the CBA is not easy to understand. And so, um, this is a very, very good hire for the Ducks. From all accounts, he seems like he's a very, very smart guy, very plugged in, um, and not necessarily to be a slight at McNabb, but the Ducks are going from a guy that was a, uh, came up as being a scout um, and worked his way up from there, uh, and he that from that person running their cap to a lawyer through tax and a player agent and everything like that. And, and I feel like just, I mean, on the surface, without knowing them at all, you would rather have the lawyer that had dealt with tax situations and things like that to be running your your cap. That just seems like the the logical point there. Well, and also, I mean, I don't know how long he actually practiced law for. It doesn't seem like it was the longest, but the point is, though, he was also a player agent for a yes. long time. And I think having been on the other side of those negotiations is helpful when you're on the team side yes. because you can kind of understand the give and the take. And so I am, I'm fascinated by this because I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I was not really this came out of left field i was not caught up on the jeff solomon story like i wasn't that kind of aware of of his track record but having read into it today having texted like i was saying king's people it just sounds like everyone's really high on this hire everyone's really kind of giving rave reviews about jeff solomon and so this is probably i mean it's funny how like this first for a lot of people would probably fly under the radar because it's not like a coaching change it's not a gm change it's not an ownership change like of course those are the big things. And if those things change, that really matters. But I think this is one of those sneaky bits of news that is going to end up potentially having a really big impact for the Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. And this is one where I think some people may wonder why they're doing this as compared to trading a guy or anything else or firing guys and things like that. And at the end of the day, the Ducks are going into a very tumultuous offseason with the expansion draft coming up with the fact that they're going to have a very high pick, the fact that they have so many RFAs and they just lost their, the, the guy that ran their salary cap uh, to retirement. And that's a pretty pivotal situation or pivotal role for, for a team with contracts and everything like that. And so this was probably priority number one for them to be able to get this role filled. So they had someone within the organization that could handle that. And now granted to me, this is a clear sign that there's are not going to be any firings. Uh, there's going to be no cleaning house or anything like that for this tax organization this summer. Um, what we have now is what we're going to be having moving have moving forward. Because if this wasn't the case, then I would have expected, uh, or I wouldn't have expected this hiring to be announced in this way. I would have expected other things to happen first. So, to me, th- this is a clear sign that Jeff Solomon, at least for this year, is going to be working under Bob Murray. Yes, and that is the elephant in the room. 
is that Bob Murray's contract is up next season or, yep. you know, after next season. And so is part of Jeff Solomon leaving the Kings is him seeing a potential opportunity in Anaheim because let's face it in LA, Rob Blake isn't going anywhere. Luke Robitaille isn't going mm-hmm. anywhere. The upward mobility for him just wasn't there. So already now just off the bat with Anaheim, he has the additional title of AGM and there is a runway here for him to potentially have and, another step up next season. Yeah, and and I think kind of that brings me to to kind of my big question here of why make the move to Anaheim? Because mm-hmm. that that was I think the first question that I had because on the I surface think, I think part of it is I mean, it sounds like he just didn't want to he didn't want to have to move. Yeah. And, so, and on, so on the he, on the that here. on the surface when you look at this, it it's a guy that's going from being an executive vice president of hockey operations uh, to a very similar role in another rival organization, but also, as you've mentioned, gaining the assistant GM's uh, GM position. And mm-hmm. I think that you're you're pretty spot on with the upward mobility being probably a key part in this, because um, it sounds as if that the Kings had known about this for a little bit now, and so he probably had it lined up with the fact that I guess it had been well known that Dave McNabb was planning to retire after this year. Um, and so he probably had reached out to the ducks and saw, wanted to get an opportunity. I guess my question is, is that, is this a Samueli hire or Bob Murray hire? Because if you're Bob Murray, are you really wanting to go out and get a guy like this that maybe is coming in, looking at the upwards mobility of it, knowing that your contract's going to be up at the end of the year? It really seems like this is pure speculation, obviously, but this seems Mm. like a Samueli hire to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question is who was driving the bus on this hire? I mean, I think one thing to keep in mind is that they had to hire a guy for this mm-hmm. to fill this slot. Mm-hmm. Like, they had to do this. And so, I mean, being where Bob Murray is at in his career, almost anyone you hire yeah. has that potential, Yeah, right? definitely. And now, I mean, when Martin Madden got named assistant GM, everybody had the same reaction, right? Of, yeah. But I think I, the, the issue with Martin Madden, though, is that he's far more limited in his skill set. I was going to say that. I think if you're mm-hmm. looking for a potential replacement to Bob Murray, I think Solomon more so fits that role uh, than uh, a Martin Madden would. Because Martin Madden, for all of uh, the people that uh, want to get behind him, and rightfully so, he's made some good picks. He's he's a scout. That That's what he's done. He we don't necessarily know how he does in the negotiation table. We don't know what his knowledge of the CBA is. All these different well, he things. He hasn't that, had to do any of those. Yeah. Things. <laughs> all these things that go into being a, a general manager, whereas Solomon seems to have done that. He seems to have had his fingers in uh, kind of everything within the Kings organization. Uh, he seems to be someone that obviously has a great understanding of the CBA and the salary cap. Someone that understands how to negotiate with players, basically everything that you need to know in order to be a general manager in this league. And so, mm-hmm. That's why, to me, this hiring, I, I think you're spot on that this seems like a potential replacement or heir apparent to Bob Murray. Yeah, and so we'll have to see. I mean, I, I don't know I don't know what but what the Ducks are going to do with Bob Murray after next year. You know, d- does he get brought back on another kind of short-term deal? Who knows? But it will be interesting. And I think if you're a Ducks fan, for, for today at least, this is a cause for optimism. In yeah, the, and, long, and I think term. one one thing I want to point out, and I'm trying to look this up to just get some confirmation on it, um, but I was reading an article earlier today that kind of made it seem like Solomon is, uh, he's not necessarily a hockey guy either. He's someone that kind of got into it through being a player agent, and he wasn't necessarily a huge 
uh, sports guy at that point in time. Um, but he kind of has, uh, uh, with 20 years of being a player agent, you start to pick up on a lot of things, and that's why he moved over to the team side eventually. And mm-hmm. so personally, as someone who's really kind of harped on this a bunch, I think having someone who didn't come up through being a guy that had to have played the game. I think that that's a really good thing because that means he thinks the game differently. He comes from a a different background and can bring a different experience along with them. And I think that that's really important because I think too many times we see guys that become general managers are former players. And that's not necessarily meant to be a knock because look at what Joe Sackick's doing. Mm -hmm. But I I think having... But but guys like Sackick and Iserman did work their way up. They didn't just get catapulted into the GM chair. True. True, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think if you look at, for instance, Kyle Dubas, someone who came from a completely non-traditional route, and it's not someone that, that ever played the game at a high level. And I think that those are the types of guys I want to see more of in this game because I think that's what's going to push the game forward and keep it from being left uh, kind of in the dust in this uh, older generation. Yeah, and I think that what's interesting about the the wording in the Ducks press release is that they, they mentioned that of the things he'll oversee. So we already talked about salary cap contract arbitration also, and player evaluation. That's something that they specifically put in there. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I guess, curious about what that means. You know, is he, how much of a say will he have? It sounds like he'll have quite a bit of say in, in who gets brought in moving forward. And if you look at, if you look at the Kings roster, the last couple of years, they've definitely made a shift towards kind of a more skilled roster adding a little bit a little bit more speed kind of going away i think from what they they used to be and so i don't know how much of that uh you know solomon was on board with in la but regardless it'll it just it'll just be interesting to see if there's any kind of change in what kind of players the ducks target yeah definitely i i think that overall i think it's going to be interesting to see how much of a difference this offseason is and i think that we're going to be able to specifically uh, key in on on a key change in the front office and, and mm-hmm. be able to look at kind of this is why this change is happening also in the same tune if uh they do exactly the same thing as they've done in previous seasons <laughs> i think that's a sign of the influence that bob murray has on this team. <laughs> more lateral trades yeah more shuffling of deck chairs let's go <laughs> yeah love it love it love it uh i do just want to point out because when you brought that up uh news today of andre kasha being done for the playoffs which is a that that's a trade that we've talked a lot about on this show Mm -hmm. and does that at all affect your assessment of it now knowing that i mean it's tough to say i mean i i think that neither side is necessarily aged perfectly i i think the ducks getting jacob perot is helpful but the fact that uh the way the salary cap has gone and that type of situation has kind of made the David Backus evaluation part of it poor. And then the Andre Kasha side, 100%. He's been injured. It's definitely reduced his thing. So you can definitely come out and say the Ducks got the better end of it because they, they got the first-round pick in Axel Anderson. But I'm not sure as, as if it's this huge win that kind of people are, are uh, parading around because of Kasha getting hurt, that it was the right time. Uh, obviously, I think that it's a horrible thing with him being injured, and they were probably right on moving him. There's just issues with that trade, I think, still. Yeah, and I mean that's that's the big takeaway here is just that it's it's such a bummer that like he just legitimately cannot stay healthy and we'll just have to see kind of if what his future is cuz I mean at this point if you think about all the injuries he's had, the concussions, I really just wonder if he should keep playing, if he should keep going. Is it even safe for him to keep playing? It's 
it's not what you want to really you know be talking about with the player but we'll see what happens there so did you have anything else you wanted to say on the jeff solomon hire uh no i i think i'm i think i'm all good okay well on that note so the plan for today before the news broke was that we wanted to do like a ducks offseason plan of attack essentially so just go over the three key components of this offseason the expansion draft the entry draft and free agency go over, go through each one and just talk about what we would do jake wrote a really good article on the expansion draft last week very detailed so he'll pretty much just say everything about the expansion draft and we'll just kind of go through this and just give you our thoughts of what we think the ducks should do what we think maybe they might do and see where it all lands maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll we'll predict something that'll happen maybe we'll maybe we'll find a diamond in the rough and all this who knows maybe we'll be accidental geniuses or we could just look like complete idiots we'll see hey that's normal for us though it happens (laughs) it happens well so let's um let's do one of these let's do the expansion draft and then after that we can probably take a break yeah and then and then we'll finish the rest off because this is the big one so with the with the expansion draft you wrote the article so this is obviously your topic but i do want to ask you because you did put it in the article, but for those who haven't read, if you haven't, you should go check it out. It's at crashthepond.com. Who do you expect the Ducks to protect in this expansion draft? So who do I expect or who do I, if I were the general manager? Well, let's just start with who do you expect? Let's just let's just kind of lay that groundwork. Let's just g- give it some realism. Okay, so my expected protection list for, for what the Ducks will do, and let me just quickly run through the rules of the expansion draft for those that, that don't necessarily know. Uh, how it's going to work. And so I think that that's kind of an important part of all of this. And so the Ducks can protect, because most of you out there probably know, but some of you might not. The Ducks can protect either seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie, or eight skaters and one goalie. And so obviously if you go seven three one, that allows you to protect 11 players. If you go eight skaters and uh, one goalie, that allows you to protect nine players as compared to the 11. So you're able to protect two less, but you're able to pick any combination of uh, fours and defensemen to fill those eight roll eight spots. And then all first and year, uh, first and second year pros are exempt from the expansion draft. And a profession, your professional experience for this is defined as 11 games or more in the NHL for players, 18 or 19 years of age, or one or more NHL game, AHL game, or European play, uh, professional game for players who turn 30 prior to December 31st, uh, 2020. And that player also has to be signed to a, an NHL contract at that point in time. And uh, any player with no movement clause that continues, and that's the key part, continues into the 21-22 season, must be protected. And then they must expose two forwards and one defenseman that fit the 27-54 uh, rule. That's 27 games played in the 2021 season and, or 54 games over the 1920 and 2021 season. Um, and I think the only other thing is players with potential career-ending injuries could be exempt from it. And so I believe Ryan Kessler is fitting that role, and if not, doesn't really matter. He doesn't have to be protected because his no movement clause is changing to a no trade clause uh, going into next year. So to run through my expected protection list, this is one that I I really spent some time thinking on um, to really kind of put it together um, because I kept on thinking the Ducks were going to go seven three one seven three one seven three one, but the fact when they've acquired the fact that they acquired uh, Hayden Flurry really makes me think that they're going to go eight skaters. And so I think that they're going to protect four defensemen. I think they're going to protect Lindholm, Manson, Fleury, and Fowler. 
Um, you don't go out of your way to trade for Hayden Flurry if you're not going to protect him, and you don't uh, basically hold on to Josh Manson and don't and move or not move him at the deadline if you're not going to protect him at the the trade de- or at the expansion draft. And then for the forwards, I would probably go. Uh, I'm thinking they're going to go Raquel Terry Lundestrom, and the fourth uh, forward. It's kind of tough um, whether they go Steele, Jones, Milano, Heinen. I mean. I think that they probably go Sam Steele. Well, yeah, in your article you wrote Steele, and I feel like he is still the likeliest because I, I, he he's the one that they've had the highest hopes for. Yep, exactly. And I don't think Max Jones, like I think this would have been a season where Max Jones could have went out and taken that spot from Sam Steele with a strong year, and he just he didn't do that. And because of that, I think they default to Steele still. He's he's a center, and I think that they prioritize that. Yep, I agree completely. And so that that's why I would do that. Um, and, and so that those are the players I would protect. So basically the Ducks would be exposing Josh Mahura. They would be prote- uh, exposing Sonny Milano, Danton Heinen, uh, Max Jones, Brendan Gooley, Kevin Shattenkirk, um, a lot of different guys there. I mean, who would you expect with, with those guys kind of having been listed? Uh, who would you expect the the Kraken to select from the Ducks with those being the players? So just to run through all the players that would be eligible and ex- er, and not protected, there also be Adam Henrique, Jacob Silverberg, Heinen, Milano, uh, Rowney, Delorier, uh, Jones, uh, Letary, Volkov, all those kind of AHLers. Then for defense, you've got Larson, you've got Shattenkirk, you've got Gooley, you've got Walensky, you've got Mahura. So I think that, among also, the... I should note Stolars would also be uh, would not be protected. It would be Gibson, obviously. So Stolars would be uh, eligibly be taken. Yeah, and Stolars, by the way, injured at the World yeah. Championships. Yeah, so done done for the World Championships. But sounds like he should be good for this season, upcoming season. So the the issue with this list, the guys who are exposed, isn't so much. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just the fact that I don't see Seattle being really tempted by any of the younger players. And then you look at Sonny Milano and the potentially concerning injury situation that's developing there. So I could see them picking up Kevin Shattenkirk just because he's relatively inexpensive. Well, yeah, he's relatively inexpensive. He's not tied up to a bunch of term, right? He's got two more years left after this. He is an analytically friendly player, which maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't discount that. And I could just see them saying, you know, there's no, there's no like diamond in the rough in here. Let's just go get sure value, have kind of a placeholder guy for a couple of yeah. years and, and just go from there. I mean, it's possible they do that. And then they, I mean, he could be their first captain even. Yeah. Like but I could, I could see Kevin Shattenkirk being, uh, that, playing a nice role for the, for the that, Kraken. That honestly wasn't even the route I was kind of looking at with this, mainly because I could see them seeing a Max Jones who's 20 was Jones. He's 22. Josh Rahara, same age range as Max Jones. And thinking, let's get the 22 to 23-year-old. Yes, we, it's more of a sure thing in terms of value for the next two years with, with Kevin Shattenkirk with what he's going to bring. But but let's take the risk. Let's get the younger guy to potentially uh, build in. It gives us a younger guy to that can be on the roster for five to six years that the, the team can, can watch grow, watch build, and uh, go from there. So to me, I would probably expect them to take Josh Maher or Max Jones out of those guys if that was left exposed. I think mainly because you're getting a, a younger player, you're getting a guy in the 22 to 23 age range that will be on this roster for essentially the first five to six years of the franchise. And maybe they might not be impact players, but they're able to be players that the team can watch grow and the play, the fans there can watch grow. 
And so I, I think that, I mean, it really depends on what Seattle's trying to do with their team. And, and I think that's going to be the key thing. I don't fully expect them to prioritize being good next year. Mm-hmm. And so I think with that being the case, that's why I don't foresee them necessarily taking a Kevin Shadkirk. Yeah, I just, my issue with them taking Jones or Mahara is I just don't think either of those guys have shown enough to where picking them, you're, there's a lot of like untapped value yeah. there. I think there's some with Mahura, but it's not a, it's not huge. I mean, it's not huge. I, I 100% agree. I know where I, you're going with it. I watched Mahura over the weekend playing for the goals and you know, he looks fine. He's, he, he looks like a solid puck moving defenseman, but I've, I've significantly cooled on him. Maybe it's a little bit of small sample. Maybe he should be playing more and we'll see what the crack can do. So that's your expected list. Now let's turn the page over to uh, who, what would you do? This is now the, this is now plan of attack. So what do you do here? <sighs> So the funny thing is, is I kind of went out on a limb just to be fun with with my personal list because you know, why not? And, uh, don't be a coward. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not as if the ducks have this wealth of talent that they have to protect. And so I could go either way with it, whether I want to do seven, three, one or eight. The one thing that I did in both of them though, just because I wanted to be fun with it, be different, take a, be bold and take a risk. I exposed cam Fowler on both of my lists. Yeah. And the logic there is essentially Cam Fowler is locked up to a very hefty deal for a long time. Uh, let me just double check, but I believe he has five years left on his deal. Yeah, it's six and a half years. mil and mm-hmm. really limited uh, no trade clause. He basically, it's almost a no move clause. It's a four team uh, yes list. So he can say four, uh, pick four teams that will go to and that's it. So this is not necessarily me saying Cam Fowler is a bad defenseman. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think he was one of the best Ducks, best defensemen this past year. One of the best players this past year. I think I gave him the MVP uh, for the team. But I look at that deal and I'm like, are the Ducks going to have this Cam Fowler five years from now making six and a half? Like this contract's not going to age well. Well, they didn't even have this Cam Fowler two years ago. So yeah. we have no idea how, much, so, how long this will continue for. Yeah. So there's kind of two things at play here. I don't think Seattle will take him. Because I think Seattle are going to look at that contract and they're not going to want to have that on their books for the next five years as he's declining. Seattle uh, has a lot of very, very smart people in their front office. And so I expect them to not want to take on some negative value contracts. On the flip side, they may say, well, we're not going to be at the cap or we're trying to get to the cap floor. That's going to help us. He's a good player. He's going to help us in the now. So they may do it. Could be the captain. Yeah, I, I think I think that. What they may look at is, though, look at Vegas. Vegas, two to three years in, every penny every penny counted for them against the cap. And so if you have this guy four or five years when you are going to be up against the cap making six and a half mil, I think that that's type, some of the long-term planning that they're going to be doing with this franchise. And so I, I think that he's almost an additional protection slot due to having that contract. And mm-hmm. so that's why I would do it. And even if they do take him, even if that does happen, worst case scenario, they take him. Sure, the Ducks are worse next year. That There's no doubt about that. I think you lose Cam Fowler for nothing that makes you worse. But this isn't a situation where you lost a guy that had high trade value that could have helped you with getting uh, value back in return. Cam Fowler, I think, doesn't have a whole lot of trade value because essentially you saw what Taylor Hall got in the or at the deadline. Similar type of thing with Cam Fowler. Not a full no-move clause, but a four-team list. And, and so it's not like the Ducks would be losing a Josh Manson or a Hampus Lindholm to Seattle 
and uh, essentially getting nothing in return. And that would hurt because both those guys have very high trade value right now on very tradable deals. And so it's hurting the future of the franchise. Whereas if the Ducks were to lose Fowler, that's opening up six and a half million for the next five years in cap space, where if the Ducks want to re-sign Lindholm, they now can just give him the Fowler contract. Give him those six and a half million. And I think you and I both agree Lindholm's the better defenseman than Cam Fowler. And the Ducks now have better cap allocation as a result of that. And so I, I think it's it's a bit of a risk, but it's one that is kind of a win-win. If he, he doesn't get taken by Seattle, you essentially just gained an extra protection slot. If he is taken by Seattle, well, then you just gained six and a half million for the next five years that you can now give that contract to Lindholm if you want to. So it's a win-win on that front. So with that being said, my 7-3-1, I did Lindholm, Manson, and then one of Fleury or Mahura. I'm not really that tied to either one. I would pick one of them, and I would probably go Mahura over the two just because he's younger, honestly. But one of the two of them. And then for the forwards, I mean, you can basically protect everyone worth uh, in some form of worth protecting. Of Raquel, Terry, Lundestrom, Jones, Steele, Hein, and Milano. Protect all of them. Mm-hmm. And if you go eight skaters... Then you're back in the same position with the forwards of Raquel, Terry, Lundestrom, and then one of Steeler Jones. And in defense, you can protect Lindholm, Manson, Fleury, and Mahura. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, both of those lists are fascinating. I think that the whole idea of exposing Fowler, it makes a lot of sense. It, it makes almost too much sense. Like, yeah. This is something they should do. It is. <laughs> I yeah I, yes it's something that I realized. I think as we were doing a podcast a while ago, and it's like this makes way too much sense. There's no way they're going to do it. I don't but think they're they going to do it because of the optics. And yeah, I agree. Of the, because of the that's something pos- I didn't nec- that's that's something I didn't necessarily mention in the article, but I think that that's something Murray in some ways cares about, and I think the optics of waving this veteran player, uh, exposing this veteran player, uh, might not look that great, and he somewhat cares about that. Yeah. On the flip side, I mean, you know, if you if you talk to him about it, it's also you- <laughs> it's also a business. Yeah, like that's the thing. At the end of the guys day, guys get traded. Exactly. And he like, this is the same guy that traded Shea Theodore uh, for, so that the ducks would exp- or the Clayton Stoner would be taken. Like, and, and so that brings me to the next bullet point. So one of the things that marked the last expansion draft for Vegas was side deals and deals with teams jostling around, trying to find ways to hold on to guys, trying to maneuver their own situations with Vegas profiting off of that. Do you see a possibility for that here with the ducks good or bad? No, I don't really see a need. I don't think the ducks are that high on Josh Maher where they're going to do that to protect him. I don't think they're that high on Sam Steele where they're going to do that to protect him. If they did do that to protect a Sam Steeler or Max Jones, then help us all. This trade, is trade Terry to Seattle like, <laughs> to protect oh, Steele. <laughs> oh my, oh my God. One, one thing we haven't mentioned actually, and so it's funny because of just kind of where they're at. Does Seattle take one of Henrique or Silverberg? I mean, that's, I think that's a possibility that we kind of seem to be taking for we, granted. We gloss over happen. it a decent amount. Well, I just think we're assuming that that con that those contracts are just pariahs and that they Do, will not touch them. Or, I mean, this isn't something I really even looked at as a potential option. Do the ducks protect either of those? It just makes no sense to protect them. No, but it, I, it, it legitimately makes no sense. But to for protect the same them. for the same reason as not as uh, not well, uh, exposing Fowler, I could Henrique. I think no, is it for sure. Henrique's not protected. Is, that bridge is burned. <laughs> that bridge is burned completely. That, that bridge is gone. 
But Silverberg, maybe. Maybe. But at the same time, look, it would be it would be kind of a rough look after they announced that he played through injury to expose him. Yeah. It's like, hey, thanks for playing through injury for us and beating up your hip even further. Oh, and by the way, uh, you might just get you might just have to pick up and move your whole life uh, because we're exposing you. I mean, I just I just don't see the the Kraken picking up Silverberg. I really think that, I agree. that that is not a contract that anyone seems to be interested in taking on. I mean, we had a decent debate on the last pod about Silverberg's season and his grade and the injury history there. Like it just seems like I don't know who in their right mind would take him right now. A hip injury to a guy in his thirties is scary. It's sketchy. Like regardless of the procedure, regardless of everything, it's just anytime you see those three letters, H I P you just like think about how, how important the hip is to skating. Yeah, I mean, think about how important the hip is to like getting out of bed. True. So let let alone skating. I mean, here here's the real kicker from Fire Carlisle. This would be the the potential thing that they do. Does Murray try to incentivize Seattle to take one of Henrique or Silverberg? Henrique would be the one that I could see him doing that for because I don't think Murray views Silverberg in the same light that he views Henrique. Well, so what's the enticer though? I mean, maybe it is. Maybe he. I don't know. I I mean. Maybe he sends a pick their way. I just, I wouldn't be doing that if I was the Ducks. I think you just, you find another way to, to get rid of him outside of having to give up your own picks. Yeah. That, that just seems, yep. that, that, that seems like you're, you're doubling down on like well, a does, sunk cost. Does Murray view as view this draft just not being good. So he's like, I'm going to trade my second to get out of this contract. Cause I don't think that second's going to be anything. I mean, maybe is a second I, enough. I, yeah. That's the thing. I don't love I don't, that. I don't, I don't love that thought enough. process at all. I mean, the, I keep saying, I mean, the thing with, uh, the thing with Henrique's contract is it's so bad that you have to move heaven and earth just to get rid of it. No, I'm still uh, honestly, like, I'm still honestly shocked that he didn't get claimed on waivers. Yeah. And, and for the ducks, how much does it really matter for right now? Yes. You want to go and attain as much flexibility as possible, but this isn't a team that's going to be needing to spend money for our, I mean, when is just look for when Trevor Zegers is next, when his contract is up. And then that's that's the deadline for when they need to really have as much flexibility as possible, which isn't for another two years. So we'll see. I yeah. don't know. So, yeah. so, so your list, just to clarify, just to kind of put a bow on that. So you're exposing Camp Fowler. That to me is the big takeaway from yes. your list. Yes, 100%. I'm exposing him because I think even though he's a good player, I think it's a win-win either way. Either you just get gain an extra protection slot that you don't actually have to use cuz his contract is that for him, or if he is taken as great of a player as he is and as much as it's going to hurt next year, the Ducks aren't this isn't about next season for the Ducks. And, mm-hmm. and that's something we've tried to really force that point home. This is not about next season for this team. This is about two to three years down the line for this team and gaining that five or six and a half million in cap flexibility over those seasons is going to be really important for this team, especially if Cam Fowler's play declines, like it most likely honestly is going to once he gets into his thirties, this is just how it goes. Look at Adam Henrique. Look at Jacob Silverberg. Look at these guys that everyone at the time said, of course they need to be resigned. Of course, give them whatever they need. And two to three years later, it's not looking great. Once they hit 30, like it sucks. It is what it is. Injuries happen. Your bodies start to break down. It's not the player's fault. And I don't blame the players either for taking the money. 
because that's oh, no. like like <laughs> of course not. This is on a net well, management thinking that you should be playing paying players for well, they past also, work. They also get arbitrarily underpaid on the front end because yeah, of the way exactly. the CBA was negotiated. It, it's absolutely <laughs> insane, honestly, when you think about it that players basically get paid for their past performance and are never paid their actual worth when they're at that worth. Unless your name's like Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. I heard an analogy for this a few years ago, and it's, it's kind of the same thing in the job market where when you're entry level, you get paid far less. And then as you move up, then your pay increases. And I think that that's what in a way hockey tries to mirror, but I don't think the analogy works that great because you're actually better when you start like, in a lot of jobs, when you start off and you're entry level, you don't know as much. So yeah. it makes, well, makes sense to pay you less. Yeah. And the issue there is that basically it's as if it's as if two to three years in the job, you know, everything in your absolute peak and you're still getting paid like you're an entry level worker. Mm-hmm. And where like, that's essentially what it is. And then mm-hmm. you eventually like tail off in a couple of years. And, and so it's just, it, it's baffling. It's crazy. It really should change like that <laughs> it, to me. It won't. It won't, and the well, reason actually, why it might. I mean, you hear the rumblings with Elliot Friedman on the Thirty One Thoughts Pod, and how this generation of young players, and how people around the league talk about how hard it is to negotiate with them. Yeah, because well, of their view I, I on think this. I'm wondering once those guys become higher ups in the PA, how it's going to go. Because that's at the end of the day, the big issue with it is the fact that a lot of times the people with say in the players' association are guys that are in their their 20 or 28 or 30 and they feel like they paid their dues and so they don't necessarily want to protect because that's what they went through and so no one's really stepping up for the kids because they don't really have a voice in the pa well look trevor zegras that that next contract i feel like he could be one of these guys that pushes for that big is he gonna big second contract you know let's just go bold here big prediction (laughs) does trevor zegras hold out well, look at the history of the Ducks with RFAs. Every a big RFA strong... coming off their ELC really has held up. Any big one. And look at the way they handled them in his rookie year. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's not the dynamic there is not the best, and I nope. I I think he'll he'll scratch and claw for every inch, and as as he rightfully should. Okay, that was a bit of a tangent. Let's take our break here. On the other side of that, though, we'll give you the plan for the draft itself, the entry draft, and then we'll get into free agency, and then we'll take some questions. Yep. So uh, today's episode is brought to you by Green Chef. So Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company. You can enjoy clean ingredients you can trust seasonally sourced for peak freshness. And ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped so you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. Green Chef makes eating Easy, well, easy and affordable with plans for every lifestyle. I mean, Felix, you've tried a bunch of different things over the last couple of years, right? In terms of eating and things like that. And I mean, Green Chef kind of uh, attacks all of them or gives you all the different options, right? Yeah. So whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or you're just looking to eat healthier in general, there's a range of recipes to suit any diet or preference. So if you're a picky eater like Jake, you'll still be okay. If you don't like eggs, you'll be fine. Actually, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> but, there you go. But yeah, and, and they give you vegan and vegetarian options, and they give you plant-based diets. Everything's great, and the, it's the most sustainable meal kit on the market, offsetting 100% of its direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box. So you can feel great about what you're eating and how it goes. And so Green Chef has been kind enough to send both of us some meals here, and 
to be honest, they're all amazing. And I'm not saying it just because they sent them to us. My wife absolutely loved all of these meals and legitimately has created a binder that holds the menus in them so that we can, or the, the meals in them so that we can go out and essentially buy all of the ingredients and wow. make them time after time. We've had the Cuban chicken with chimichurri, the Memphis style beef meatballs. And uh, I believe my wife's favorite was the roasted sausages and creamy mash. The mashed potatoes were bonkers good the <laughs> the sausages with them it was all just absolutely amazing some uh, i believe there were some um some onions on it they gave you cream cheese and sour cream to go in the mashed potatoes it was so so good and i really cannot recommend all of this enough the food was fantastic and honestly if you're someone like me who's a big directions follower the directions are super easy to follow they're super easy to figure out what to do and they really make cooking easy because I think there are times when you're dealing with recipes that it can be a bit yeah. of a pain. They make it easy by laying it out for you. Like I said, on these nice cards, the backside has all the directions for it. I Lay love it that out binder. With, yeah. I love that so much. <laughs> so legitimately, and you can keep the cards forever basically to be able to go back to these recipes. So you can go to greenchef.com slash 90 CTP and use the code 90CTP to get $90 off, including free shipping. And so you can go to green, once again, go to greenchef.com slash 90CTP, CTP like crash the pond, 90 like $90 off. And you can use the code 90CTP to get $90 off, including free shipping. Thank you so much, Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. There you go. And especially with a lot of people now going back to offices slowly but surely, it's nice to have something just ready to go when you yeah, get home. Yeah, and, and the meals are typically for two. And so if you are married or have a spouse, and I believe they have them for four also, if you have a family, you can do that. Or if you just want to be able to make stuff and you can have it as meal preps and you can have two servings of it, one for dinner, one for lunch the next day. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, thank you to Green Chef. Let's move on here with our next two items on our to-do list, our off-season to-do list. Imagine what the real one looks like for internally for the Ducks, what their their to-do list looks like, their spreadsheet. Must be insane. Let's talk about the entry draft. So I, there's a there's obviously multiple scenarios we could look at. I pinned down two that I think kind of just both sides of the extremes. Let's start with this one. Scenario one, the Ducks win the draft lottery. They get the first overall pick. What's the plan here, Jake? Uh, draft Matty Veneers. Really? That that easy, huh? That easy. I, I It's funny. EP Ringside. Great, great website. One of the best <laughs> out there, I think, for uh, for oh, draft yeah. talk, everything 100%. like that. So go subscribe to them if you can. They put out their post-U18 NHL draft ranking. And there was a shakeup, and it feels like it exactly aligns with my view with the draft. So maybe this is complete bias talking because it's exactly it how I view it. But... You know, number one on their list, Matty Beneers. Number two, William Eklund. Number three, Brant Clark. And Owen Power dropped all the way down to number four on their list. And so for me, it really comes down to whether you want to take Beneers or Eklund. I think that those two have really separated themselves uh, in terms of being at the top end of this draft. You look at what they've done in in their two ranks. I mean, Matty Beneers uh, for the University of Michigan put up, uh, I believe, a point per game, which is up there for, for guys putting up in points per game. 
um, as a, a draft eligible player in uh, college. You look at William Eklund, I believe he's second in the last like 10 to 20 years behind, I believe Elias Lindholm's the only one with a higher point per game in the SHL um, in a draft eligible year in the last 20 years. And, and so these are two guys that really produced at the, at a pretty high level um, in their leagues. And these are the, I mean, Matt Abeneers playing in the NCAA, playing against guys that are up to 23 years old. So playing against guys older than him, significantly so in some cases. And William Eklund also playing in the SHL, playing against men in the in the Swedish league. And so these are two guys that I think both were able to produce and could make the immediate jump into the NHL and, and make a decent-sized impact right away. And so they're not going to be these guys that come in and blow the doors off, but I think that you have to look at the upside there. And I think that they, they're the two highest upside. They're the two guys that I think can make the most immediate impact. Sure. Owen power has his size and everything with that, which allows him to play the game at the NHL level. But I I'm worried about a few things with him. I think he's going to be a great defenseman, but I just, I wouldn't take him first overall. I think for me, what really sold me on Matty Beniers is the fact that um, looking at some of his transition numbers that uh, Mitch yeah. Brown had shared and just, He's not a guy that's going to kill you with the high end with a with a high end ceiling in terms of skill. Eklund, I think, is the guy that does that. He's the highest end skill guy. But Matty Beniers is essentially a transition monster. He's a guy that's going to drive play the other way. He's going to be a guy that's going to be an analytics darling. And if he can put up some points along with it, he could be considered one of the better players in the league. And yeah. could and, and isn't going to be up there with like a McDavid in that class that that really blows the doors off. But could be there maybe with like what a Sasha Barkov too high of a ceiling there. Well, the thing with Beniers that I really love and why I think he would also be my pick at first overall is that you talked about his transition game. The ducks have not been a very good transition <laughs> team for a while now. No. And so to go and get a center who basically imme- possibly immediately changes that for you, gives you a, a guy who can do that so well, add him into the mix with the likes of Trevor Zegras and Troy Terry and all of a sudden, your top six looks a lot more interesting Zeke, getting, Zeke, getting that Zeke, puck up ice. Zegers, Paneers, one-two center could be next year. Exactly. And I think that that could be legitimately a good one-two as soon as next year. And so what I like about Paneers is there is a bit of a floor there. And in this draft with a lot of guys who have this kind of wide range of outcomes, it's nice to know or at least be so confident in a guy like Paneers because you, you feel like you're at least going to get a player who can Here, help your team. Here's the question, and I think that this is the big question with this. If the Ducks win, Ducks win first overall, will they take Owen Power, though? Well, okay, just to clarify, just to put a bow on that, my, our plan of attack is go after Beniers. I, yes. I would The only other guy I would consider, I think, is Eklund. Yep. B- because of that skill set, once he's in the offensive zone, that's maybe what Beniers doesn't have. He, yep. In terms of what the Ducks will do, I I don't know. I mean, do they take another defenseman? Two years in a row? I mean, the fact that he's a left-hand shot defenseman, so I think mm-hmm. that has something going for him. The fact that Bob Mc... I really am curious when Bob McKenzie puts out his final list if anything has changed because he had 10 out of 10 scouts with Owen Power first, and I think that that's a good sign of where NHL scouts view Owen Power in comparison to everyone else in this draft. And I think not only that, but how high up they have Simone Edmondson shows how much they really value the size aspect of it, which you and I both just don't value as much well, as a well, lot of so, other aspects but if of you're, game. If you're the Ducks, though, and you're Martin Madden in that chair, and you look at the guys they've drafted over the last couple of years, there's clearly a focus on mobility and skating. And 
Owen Power is good skating. It's not necessarily a weakness in his game, but I think Matthew Beneers brings that in spades mm-hmm. and, and can, and I, can really and I, change that dimension for them. And I think if you want to look at it from that aspect of kind of what the Ducks play or how, the style they want to play and the way that Bob Murray has always wanted this team to play, I think Matthew Beneers does fit into that style because he's kind of this, this guy that's known for being hard to play against. He's in on the forecheck. He's almost kind of sort of like a Ryan Kessler type of player. Not necessarily mm-hmm. that hard-nosed, but a guy that's going to annoy you, get in on the forecheck, and really get in there. And, and so I think that there are signs that they could take him. I don't think if they had first overall, they're going to take William Eklund. I think they're too much of a, uh, a franchise that doesn't want to take a guy that's smaller in stature at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think it would probably be between Power and Beneers for them at first overall. Yeah, man, if they would, I said, I think I said this in the last pod, but taking on power at number one, I just feel like whoever does that is going to end up regretting it. Yeah, and that's kind of sort of why I don't want to win the draft lottery, honestly. But (laughs) then again, but then again, there could be, there are plenty of smart general managers, smart teams out there that may view it and not want to take Owen Power first overall. They may want to take Matty Beneers or William Eklund. Exactly. And so then you're left without the option of selecting those players. Well, especially seeing how the game is played nowadays and, watching the playoffs and it's funny every year i feel like people kind of the playoffs influences how they approach the draft a little bit because like oh well look at the teams that are winning but it's it's true i mean look at when the ducks hired carlisle he specifically mentioned the pittsburgh penguins yeah you need speed you need skill and i just don't know how owen power fits into that i think he can be a nice player in the nhl but i just don't love the ceiling there okay so then this brings me to the next scenario this is going to be the last scenario. Ducks fall back two spots, which I believe would be the furthest they could fall back. Uh, so yeah, they can fall to fourth, which is on a, which is actually due to draft odds. And by the way, uh, Tankathon I believe got clarity on what was going to happen with the Arizona odds mm-hmm. because if you recall, Arizona's uh, picks are forfeited. So the way that it's going to happen is if they're not redistributing those odds, there will still be Arizona balls in the in the hopper. Um, but if Arizona is selected, there will be a redraw redraw. Mm-hmm. So that that's what will happen. Um, by the way, I guess the San Diego goals have lost. Dang. Eliminated. Yeah. yeah. Eliminated. Um, and from a, so from a tournament they weren't getting paid for. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, but to get back to, to where fourth I was overall. going, fourth overall is, let me go to pick odds. Uh, 49.3% uh, is the, the chance of them getting fourth overall. So just to run it out, run it, uh, run through it for everyone. 12.1% for first overall, 2% or uh, 11.7% for second overall, 26.9% for third overall, 49.3% chance for fourth overall. So m- almost about a 50% chance they're going to end up with the fourth overall pick. Mm-hmm. So, and then, so it's basically a coin flip between getting fourth or somewhere in the top three, which... Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's not terrible, especially in this draft. So let's say that it goes to fourth and that Owen Power is the first overall pick. In this kind of realistic draft scenario for the top, for the, the two and the three pick, who do you think goes second and third? It's probably some order of Beneers. I think I Beneers is, think, in, is in one of those two. Yeah, so I, I think that, I think if Power doesn't go first, I think he's going to go second. Mm-hmm. I think that that that's pretty locked in. Um, to be honest, I just think that I, I think that size is going to be valued there, and I think power is going to go first or second. And then yeah. I think I think Beneers is going to go probably second uh, behind him. 
And then I think it's probably going to be one of Brant. It's probably going to be Brant Clark. Maybe okay. third. Would you agree with that? Unless someone goes crazy and drafts a goalie. Or takes, I mean, goes goes completely off board. I mean, here's the thing, and this is the hard thing with this draft. Yeah, it's like hard. There can be guys like that are in the, the middle teens here that could be taken in the top four. Like, what if someone takes Ken Johnson? Ken Johnson had more points than, than Matty Beneers. Yeah. And when you look at some things, I definitely favor Beneers over Johnson, but some people may look at that. I mean, for God's sake, look at last year when um, Jack Quinn was taken ahead of Marco Rossi. Yeah. And, and so there's some things with that. I mean, you could see Luke Hughes going in the, the top four, Simone Edvinson. Honestly, I like the top four, and I think that the top four, specific, I like the top three of this draft, draft more. I like Beneers, Eklund, Clark the most, and then power behind them. Um, but what kind of scares me a bit once you hit three to four is I don't know what people will do once Beneers and power are off the board. Well, I think if it gets to four, there's still a chance that they grab one of Eklund or Clark. Yes, agreed. I, and I, that's and the so, good thing. And so those are the guys you keep in your back pocket. Yes, agreed. Agreed. By the way, do you want to explain why you and I aren't as high on Owen Power as some other people are? Well, I think we've made it pretty clear over the last few weeks, but mm-hmm. just to just to we, summarize. We have, we have Ducks Go asking in our, in our Twitch chat, so I figured I'd just throw that at you to let you explain. <laughs> okay, well, so there's nothing wrong with Owen Power. He projects as a solid NHL defenseman, top four kind of guy. The issue is when you're drafting first overall, you want to really get some some potential ceiling, some potential offensive ceiling, a guy who can really change your franchise. And with Owen Power, I just don't think he fits that bill. He's a guy who can come in and really solidify your blue line. Like if the Ducks drafted Owen Power, it's it's not going to be a great pick in the sense of what they left on the table, but he'll still come in and help. He'll still solidify that position. Again, the issue is just that you're leaving a lot of potential on the table. And in the draft, you always want to prioritize. I think you 99% of the time want to prioritize ceiling over anything else. And with Owen Power, I just I just don't think there's much of a ceiling offensively. And even just in terms of what he's good at defensively, he's, you know, I don't hear a lot of people saying he's a lock to be like a future Norris guy either. So it's just just kind of a vanilla pick that I would I would stay away who from would, first overall. Who would you compare power to if you had to? Ooh, that is a great question. Um well, DP th- Lowry in the chat. Well, I think that if you look at, you know, like for example the Ducks roster and just try to use a comparable from there, I think he's kind of like in the Hampus Lindholm type of skill set. You know, but a, maybe a few shades above or below that but they are kind of in that similar draft range. I think the reason powers being projected so high is more of a product of the draft class than his own talent. Because if you look at Hampus Lindholm, he went sixth overall. And I think Hampus Lindholm, a lot of the things that people were saying about him are kind of being applied to power, just a really excellent defensive defenseman. And power's got some transition ability as well. Like he's a guy who can mm-hmm. move that puck, who can attack the, the offensive blue line. There is upside there. I'm not trying to say that this guy has no potential whatsoever, but he just doesn't have enough to entice me to take him over anyone else. So yeah. hopefully yep. I didn't say anything there that made no sense, but I think that's just my view on it. It is also a little biased because I do have clearly a philosophy on the draft and who I, what kind of player I prioritize, but I think that even putting that aside, there's still an argument to be made that he shouldn't go first overall. 
So yeah. And by the way, just want to put this out there. Craig Button has his uh, most recent draft list list up from May um, May twelfth. He had first as Owen Power, second as Brant Clark, third as Simone Edmondson, fourth Luke Hughes, fifth Matty Beniers, sixth William Eklund, seventh Dylan Gunther. So just for contrast, by the way, Simone Edmondson on Elite Prospects is at nine. Luke Hughes is at eleven. Um, and so that just kind of goes to show you the 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 difference between yeah. uh, people's evaluations and the fact that this is not something that's locked in with a top end. I mean, like I said, EP Ringside says Matty Beniers one, Craig Button has him at five. And so there's no consensus. It's all over the place. And so that is the one thing that does kind of scare me. But I also think that you can find value then, which is why getting down to fourth is not this end of the world situation. No. And I think regardless, the Ducks are going to get a good player. Yes. And that's like, the big thing, unless they completely mm-hmm. screw it up. Like in this, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if they draft Luke Hughes fourth, uh, that would that would not be preferable. But the point is, <laughs> if you look at this class, it's kind of like what we said last year. When you're in that range at four or where they were last year, sixth, yeah. you're not going to have your pick of the litter unless you get lucky and Trevor Zegers falls to you at nine, but God. you you're still going to get a quality player. And at that point, any criticisms of the pick are probably going to be more kind of a little, a little more in the weeds. Like I did last year saying they still should have taken Marco Rossi. My whole but, point with my whole point with that was that with Marco Rossi, that was the guy I would have picked, but taking Jamie Drysdale, isn't some like Cardinal sin. He is a guy who's going to help this franchise. Can I ask you this? Did you see this today? From uh, I believe it was uh, Gord Miller. Uh, no, Gord Miller tweeted out it was about Mort Sider, the fact that I guess he's playing well and basically he he was saying that all of you that were criticizing that the Red Wings need to take it all back now with how well he's been playing uh, wasn't a mistake now. And I'm like, have you watched Trevor Zegers play at all this year? <laughs> yeah, now now do Philip Broberg. <laughs> yeah, Philip Broberg's the really, really bad one. <laughs> exactly. Like, but but still, like the fact that you took Mort Sider when you had Dylan Cousins and Trevor Zegers on the board. Well, I I think the fact that he's playing well is th- that's despite the selection. Like that that's kind of saving the the face for the decision. So anyway, I don't want to get into that. So let's go to the third part of our uh, mock offseason. Oh, one thing I did want to add. Do you try to add another first round pick in this draft via trade? Um, I mean, I think they should. Yeah, because the way that this draft is going to be structured, there's going to be some players that are going to fall. You talked about it, that that big wide range of opinions. And so there are teams in this draft who have multiple picks in the first round. And I just don't know. The team that I really looked at was the Columbus Blue Jackets is is there a deal to be made there? They have three first because round of them picks. having three first round picks. It's almost it's almost it feels crazy to think that they just that that they would go into that draft holding on to all of their first round. Picks. I mean, just Detroit also has two. Do they hold on to both? I would think they do. I think they need to because their cupboard is still like so barren. Not yeah. so barren, but just it needs continual restocking with columbus i just don't know where they're at as a franchise do they want I to think, get back to being i think they're starting to retool or rebuild i think they're resetting i may have heard someone say that but their roster it, it there's a lot of tearing down that has to happen there if you look at their roster they are not a team that's primed for a rebuild there's a lot of guys under contract and i just don't really know what what they're going to do 
And yeah. so maybe if you're the Ducks, you try to try to go and get a pick. Maybe send them Ricard Raquel. I don't know. Try to get Patrick Line out of there. I just feel like there's an interesting trade to be made there. I just don't really know what direction they're going to end up going in. Yeah. So we'll see. But that is something that I would be trying to do. Quick, if I'm the quick, quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Which of the the players, draft eligible players this year, do you think could immediately make the jump into the NHL? I think it's probably not that long of a list. I think it's Beneers and Eklund. I don't think Owen Power should make the jump right away. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Brant Clark should either. Yep. So yeah, I mean it's it's and not I a very and I and I'm even iffy on Eklund and Beneers, but I think I I think that. I think power probably could use another year in college or in the AHL. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Baneer, I mean, Baneers maybe could also, I mean, he was really productive. So maybe, maybe not. If you look at where he was at with his production last year, I believe he was, uh, I believe uh, Trevor Zegras was around a point per game, maybe a little bit higher during his uh, final year in college. So I, I and I think Eklund being good in, in the SHL, but I mean, he may go back to the SHL for one more year. I mean, it's not out. I it's possible that none of the guys make the jump to the NHL in this draft class right away. Yeah, and I think that's part of the danger, maybe, of overpaying for another pick. Is that mm-hmm. you're, you know, like we t- we talked about, this draft is so kind of an unknown for a lot of people, and so I don't necessarily know if this is the draft to go all in on getting another pick. Uh, we'll see. Okay, let's uh let's shift gears to free agency here. So I think this is kind of an easy question. Maybe it's not. But for the Ducks RFAs, what's your view of that situation? Do you Is everyone coming back, essentially? I think everyone should come back. You qualify I th- everyone. I think I would qualify. Here's my view of RFAs. You always qualify them. Yeah, because they're going to be cheap. They're going to be cheap. And if you want to like, trade them or if you don't want them, qualify them and trade them. Mm-hmm. Like, at least get something. Don't lose them for nothing. This was the big issue with freaking Matthew Perot five or six years ago. The Ducks couldn't come to terms with him, didn't want to give him a qualifying offer, let him walk for nothing as a result of it. Like, just... Is there maybe one guy you see them not qualifying? Danson Heinen, if anyone. Yeah, same. Well, it's because of his number, right? He would he would have to be qualified at 2.8 again. Exactly. And so that, I could see them once not again, qualifying him. Once again, well, it's not only that he the qualifying offers at 2.8. It's the fact that he has arbitration rights also. Exactly. And I mean, look at the way he was handled this year. You know, he, I mean, he may, he played still in a decent amount of games, but the jostling, the fact that we know that they were actively trying to trade him, I could see them maybe not qualifying him. But I think that if this were up to us, I think you just, you just bring everybody back and, you go yeah. from there, try to recoup value for yeah, a Danton and, Heinen. And I basically took a look, and if the Ducks were to go out of their, go sign essentially all their RFAs and UFAs and sign essentially everyone of, of somewhat importance to this franchise and build out the roster, they would have, I believe it's like roughly seven or eight million in cap space next year, mm-hmm. and that's prior to needing LTIR. So that that essentially gives them a, a fair amount of cap space, cap space to work with. Um, either if they want to sign a guy or two to a smaller deal, I don't foresee them necessarily using that cap space on a big trade or anything like that, but it gives them the flexibility that they quite frankly did not have this year. And, yep. and, and so I could see them signing anyone, everyone. I think we, we went through real quick, the evolving uh, Hawk. I mean, do you want to just do it one more time, run through the evolving hockey uh, contract list and see if you think that that's where it's going to be at. Sure. 
Let, let's do that. So for anyone out there that doesn't know, Evolving Hockey does an awesome contract projection. And, and it ends up being very accurate. It ends up being very, very accurate. And so here we go. Let's just really uh, jump into this. So Max Comtois, two years, 2.75 mil. Sounds about right. Danton Heinen, two times 2.4. I mean, I... I'm kind of down on Heinen, but that's still like not a bad deal. It's it's not taking up a lot of space, and he could he could bounce back. And here's the issue: that's less than a qualifying offer. Well, that's the thing. So to get to that contract, they would have to not qualify him, which could mean he just leaves. Yep. And then you lose him for nothing. Yep. So so the, so the Nick Ritchie trade tree, <laughs> the Bobby dies. Ryan trade tree <laughs> dies. dies. Yeah. Well, no, so. no, Jacob Silverberg's still on the team. Yeah, but part of the allure of that trade was that was getting that, yeah. that high draft pick. And so it would just, do you see that as bad asset management if they don't qualify him and he just walks? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think that even though you don't want to maybe bring him back, just try to recoup value and then trade him, get him yeah. for something more than Jake for well, That's the reason why you sign, sign him to a qualifying offer. Yeah. Um, so let's run through the rest of the RFA Sam Steele two times two. I mean, I hate it, but sure. I honestly think Comtois gets higher than two points. I think I think he could reach. I think he might get into the the, the threes, like yep. the low threes. Um, mm-hmm. I just look at that Ricard Raquel deal, and I think if you look at the year he just had, Max Comtois did. It's very similar. But the issue is, is whether he wants term or not. If he goes up in term to to round where Raquel did, that's when he's going to get in the threes. I think he gets hit two times three. Yeah, I think that that's. I think that's what will happen. I'll, yeah. I'll be bold here. Okay. And then Max Jones, two times one and a half. Sure. Isaac Lundestrom, two times one. That that actually would could be a sneaky value deal with the way he played this year. So, yeah. yes. Uh, Volkov, two, two times 883,000. <laughs> I don't know why there's it would have to be two years, but whatever. Fourth liner, sure. Yeah, Volk, and then Mahura at one year at seven ninety two. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the Ducks will will be the ones signing that, but anyway. And then, um, let's get into unrestricted free agents. Did you have any comments though in the RFA's? Uh, Last comments. Nope. I, I I think it's pretty straightforward. You sign them, uh, sign them, give them qualifying offers. Worst case, you you trade them and get some value back. Yeah, I just don't think there's going to be this big contentious negotiation with Contois because the Ducks have the space. They're not in a cap bind. And quite frankly, he earned it. He had a really good season, led the team in scoring. That They're going to pay him, I think. We'll see. We'll see how. We'll see if they apply the Trevor Zegras approach with him. Unrestricted free agents, this should be pretty easy. Uh, Ryan Getzloff. Uh, yeah, you sign him. Yeah, I think that he can still be a useful player. And maybe even ends up being a really good value deal. I think David Backus is retiring, so he's not coming yeah. back. Um, Ryan Miller retiring. Andy Walensky. Decision who, on Andy Walensky. Decision who, time. Who knows what they're going to do with Andy Walensky? Well, if it's up to me, I'm not bringing back. Just taking another toy away from Dallas Akins. Um, Carter Rowney, UFA. I feel like you, you kind of have to let him go just because you want to give that spot to a younger player in the AHL. Uh, give, see what a prospect can do in that spot as opposed to just burning it on a veteran. And then moving down the list after that, a lot of AHL guys that we don't, we don't really need to get into looking, looking I, bigger picture though. 
I'm going to throw an audible at you, though. Not okay. on your notes right now. Audible me, please. Do the Ducks provide an, give an extension to any player this summer? So that is kind of actually the elephant in the room because let's yep. face it, Ampus Lindholm. That that's Josh the Manson. that's the much bigger bigger question than any of the RFA deals besides yep. maybe Comtois and any of the the UFA deals this summer. It's whether the Ducks extend one of any of or all of Raquel Manson and Lindholm. Well, let's just do let's just go through the list. Ricard Raquel. I mean. Do you want my opinion? Because my opinion... Well, no, but remember, this is the plan. This is what you would do. My plan, my personal plan would be to trade all of them this summer. Yes, I think you trade all of them. Uh, this is People aren't, aren't going to want to hear that, but there is just no sense in the Ducks extending any one of these guys. I think that locking in Ricard Raquel to a long-term deal, Josh Manson to a long-term deal, Hampus Lindholm... Lindholm and Manson alone with their injury histories are it's a, it's a total risk um, to extend them. And then Lindholm, Lindholm's the only go ahead, go ahead. And I was just going to say with Ricard Raquel, he's the only one that I could see where I don't know what he's going to jump up to. It could be significant, but with the way his recent performance has been, maybe his price tag comes in at a more reasonable rate than you might think. And maybe now is the time to extend him because he's this is like an all-time low in value. Ricard Raquel might not want to get an extension right now if you look at the season he just had. Actually, yeah. the last two seasons he just had. Yeah, I, I agree. If I'm Ricard Raquel, I want to be traded to up my value and hit UFA status. I don't want yeah. to an extension this summer. So for Ricard then, Raquel... Then again, then again, on the flip side of that... Just well, he might I just both, want to stay in Anaheim. Well, on the flip side of that, also, he may view it as for sure value with whatever money they're going to give him. And it's something that's on the table right now. Well, that's the that's thing because if sure he, money, if he gets traded and he has another bad season, yep, then you know you're left high and dry. But I, I would be just looking to trade all of them, just get whatever you can and move on and just turn the page. And yep, particularly for Manson, he just hasn't been good. Like this season, he was bad. We gave him, I think, a D minus on the last show, and with Lindholm, you know, the health concerns are there and. It sucks to say because I really like Hampus Lindholm as a player, but I just think it's time. Here, Here's the only thing I would do. If the Ducks went the route that I said they should of exposing Cam Fowler, mm-hmm. that is the only way I would provide Hampus Lindholm a contract extension. Because I can guarantee you that Hampus Lindholm is going to be looking for the uh, is going to be looking for the Cam Fowler extension at least next summer, mm-hmm. and, and, or that contract because. I mean, you look at the importance of the franchise, you look at it. I mean, it's pretty easy to say that Hampus Lindholm has been a more important defenseman to the, uh, to the ducks, um, than Cam Fowler has been over the entirety of, of both their tenures. And so if you're Hampus Lindholm, you're like, my contract starts there and Mm -hmm. goes up from there. And so I think the only way I would extend Hampus Lindholm was if I somehow got rid of Cam Fowler's contract. I don't think that you can have two of those deals on your cap going into your no. contending window as no. they're going into their mid to late thirties. Like those are deals that you can have two of, if you are smack dab in the middle of your contending window, right. you can have guys 27, 28, 29 making a good amount of money, but you can't have guys in your, in their early to late 30 or early to mid thirties doing mm-hmm. that as you're starting to enter a contending window, which is yeah. where the, where the ducks will be. And again, the ducks are going to have to extend Trevor Zegers at some point, And they're going to have to extend Jamie Drysdale at some point. Yeah. And like those could be big ones. And then whoever they end up drafting this year, like there's, and, 
there's a lot of who knows if they try to pull off a big trade there's money there yeah exactly so i think even though for a lot of fans it's hard to hear to trade these guys i think it's the best move for the future of the franchise well, and you can also recoup future va- asset like it, or future value. It's not as if we're saying trade these guys because they're and, and you're not going to get anything in return. We're saying trade these guys because, especially Lindholm, you would get a king's ransom in, in yeah. turn in terms of uh, he's, a, he's a first pairing defenseman. Who like any team he goes to, instantly gets better. Like he uh, the like I think I, when I put together my article, the the closest comparable I could find was really like a Ryan McDonough deal, which got a couple of uh, I think a first round pick. Um, and some players and everything like that. So it was a pretty big return. It was basically, I mean, one year left on Hampus Lindholm will get the Ducks what they wanted to get for for Josh Manson uh, for two years. Yeah, and then for Josh Manson, I don't know what the return is anymore after kind of the way his career is trending a little bit. I, I still would imagine that the perception of him is positive and the fact that he's a rental at this point, a one-year rental, is going to help move him out but it's i just i'm curious what they could go get for him now yeah i mean to me i think you move manson by the way i don't think he gets moved before the the expansion draft i've had a some i had some people mention that to me uh with my expansion draft article saying the duck should uh the duck should basically just be be looking to to move manson before the the expansion draft that way it opens them up to go 731 and everything like that i'm like the the issue there is that if that was the case, then the Ducks should have just moved him at the deadline when they could have gotten essentially he could have gotten a trade, uh, a one playoff run with a team prior to the expansion draft. If that was the reasoning, because there's no difference from an a expansion draft perspective of trading him at the deadline uh, and trading him now. And that was the big thing that everyone said was the expansion draft made it hard for him to to be moved. And so if that's the case, that's going to be the same issue now, except you don't even have the leverage of the playoff runs as a result of that. So there's absolutely no reason why they would trade Josh Manson. There's absolutely nothing they would get in return for him. Before the, the expansion draft. Did I say, what did I say? No, I'm just adding that in. Yeah, just yeah, to make yeah, sure yeah, yeah, yeah. But before the expansion draft, and to me, it, it like it's a situation of uh, a strict like kind of trade valuation. If I'm the Ducks, I'm protecting Josh Manson over. Uh, basically, I'm protecting Manson and Lindholm over basically anyone else because of how big their trade value could be. Then those two and Raquel because of essentially their trade value in the summer after the expansion draft happens. So, and what they can get in return is going to be important potentially to the ducks in the future. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And then as far as what you think happens, just let's play that game. Do you think any of them get extended this summer? I think one or two, two. So here's the thing. If I'm a player right now, do I really want to be extended in this ecosystem with this kind of financial situation in NHL? Do I want to just put that off a year See how the I league mean, recuperates. It, it's maybe it, it, the money will be flowing a little better by then. I think it's a. It depends on where you think the market's going to go. I, well, I, think also, as, I think as a player, if if the personality I, of the player is important here, because yeah. are you willing to withstand that uncertainty for a year, and then and, you could you could be left high and dry. And if you're Manson or Lindholm or Raquel, actually, all three of them, all three of them were were hurt this year. Yep. What what if you sustain an injury? And like we were talking about Andre Kasha. I mean, and, and, with, with and if Manson, you get hurt going into being a UFA. With Manson and Lindholm, the way the last couple of years have gone, you can almost pencil in an injury for next year. I mean, if Manson keeps fighting, like, yeah. you, you can pencil but, in an injury. But so that, that's kind of my point is these are guys that basically, will, I think that if the money's put in front of them, I think they're guys that will take it as a result of that. Because I think with being injured and, and everything like that. 
So, but do the Ducks want to do that? They, they, they shouldn't. Are they, are they going to be shouldn't. the ones to initiate the extension? No. It's, they, it's they, I I could see none of them getting extended this summer. I and could. I, I could say. I think. I think one of them will. I I think that there's there's enough outside forces to where some of them may just not want it this summer. We'll see. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh oh. Uh oh. The most likely to get extended is Josh Manson. Yep. Yep. Because think about the quotes that we've heard from Murray. like Elliot Friedman. What is it? What was the quote that Elliot Friedman had about Bob Murray? Now I'm spacing on the exact well, verbiage. That, that he doesn't, you don't love your mother as much there as he loves go. Josh or something like that. You don't love your family as much as he loves Josh Manson. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's going to be a bad one. I can guarantee whatever next contract he gets is going to be a bad deal. Because look at the way his career is trending. Again, it's trending in the wrong direction. Yeah. And I don't see that going just magically back up. The bummer is, at one point in time, he was such an underrated defenseman. I know. It it really does suck because I remember when he first came up. And for a couple of years there, he was this like analytics darling. And people were talking about him as one of the more underrated players in the league. And now it's he's kind of overrated, if anything. Yeah. So, so it's it sucks to see that that arc but hey that's what happens aging curves like, yep yep that's how these things go yeah i mean um, that is that is legitimately the arc of an aging curve people yep. people i mean what is it bob murray had the quote saying you're not in your prime until you're at 29 it's well look at josh manson's career like yeah he broke into the league at what 24 25 around there i think it was the yep. the 20 it would have been the the 2015 2016 playoffs that or 2015 16 was his his first year with the team. So this would be his sixth season. So he broke in at about 24 and, and 24, 25, 26 were all of his, his peak his years, best seasons. his best but, seasons, which also puts into contrast when you think about it, Hayden flurry and kind of him coming over and people claiming he's young and all that stuff. It's like, well, 24, 25, 26 Lindholm Manson were the best defensemen on the team. Yeah. Well, Lindholm still is, but well, no, but my, my point is I think that that's a, a contrast for everyone out there with where Flurry's at. I don't think he's near the level where either of those guys were at that time. No, and and that's the thing is Murray views that as this guy will actually end up getting better from where he is now, where it's actually usually the opposite. Where you are now in that mid-20s range, it might be your peak, and it's actually only going to go down from there. So don't want, don't want to bum anyone out there. This is strictly applying to the statistical production of professional hockey players. This is not about real life you're you're just hitting your peak once you get into your 30s you're you're just thank you you're just entering the fun zone there you go that thank little, you a little olive branch for everybody there okay uh let's just quickly talk about this free agent class uh let me ask Do we you this. have are, to we, we can make this very quick no are the ducks fine. gonna are the ducks gonna go sign alex ovechkin that's no. the big question here no i mean <laughs> here's the other thing so real quick the only player that i would really target from this uh, unrestricted free agency class would maybe David Dougie, <laughs> Dougie Hamilton. Okay, I, I, I think would maybe be the only you, one I would I would do look you at. Really, do you really see that? I mean, no, it, no. There's no counter to everything you've been saying, though. He's 28. He's yeah, going to get a big. No, he's gonna like get I a said, contract. they shouldn't. He's okay. the only one I would potentially do it for, though, because mm-hmm. I think Dougie Hamilton's very, very good and will is like one of. He instantly becomes the best sucks offenseman for the next three to four years. Yeah, so the thing with, with unrestricted free agents is that those are the guys that make sense, like you've already said, for contending teams. Yep. For for teams that are in the thick of it, that are a, a player or two away, that need to just tinker their roster. The Ducks aren't there. 
uh, hopefully I'm not breaking any any news there, but they're not there. And so you really want to stay away from the the bigger money guys. And even you don't want like to commit. The- you don't want to commit long term money. I mean, it's basically the exact conversation we just had about Cam Fowler's deal is essentially the same thing that applies to essentially almost all of these players. I would kind of I would kind of love to see them bring back some of the former Ducks just on cheap deals like Andrew Cogliano. Corey Perry. I mean, basically the I only mean, free I, agents I, that you and I want are basically like Ducks <laughs> fandom, like the, the Ducks fandom, like going, going all yeah. out and just basically bringing back all the nostalgia do, uh, bring in, uh, Bobby Ryan, bring in Corey Perry, have a yeah. fourth line of, of the RPG line. Just do it. And, and by the way, I'm just saying this like kind of tongue in cheek, you know, analytically speaking, these are still not guys that you should probably be bringing no, on again. No, you want to see the Ducks make as much room as possible next year, even more so than this year for youngsters. And so are they going to bring back Carter Rowney? I feel like they might. It's just a random thought that popped into my head. I have no idea. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, well, he was good for them when he played I this mean, year. They, they did try to plug that hole and never really found a guy to really go into that spot. So maybe. Wow. D- disrespectful to Sam Carrick. Disrespectful. Sam Carrick never even played in that role, though. He was put on Kinda. bigger... On, he was never That's put on true. the fourth line. That's true. He was on a higher role. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, come on. Or, or technically a lower role, given Vol- that the Grant Volkov. Line. Volkov yeah. was really the one that was put in there and never really could could fit the billing. Um, was, was Volkov worse than Rowney? Yes. That's that's not what you want to hear. But anyway. No, no that, um, that is not. I mean, Carter Rowney, by the way, I mean, he's 32. Granted... Yeah. Like the Ducks he, gave the Ducks gave Derek Grant uh, a three year deal at thirty years old. So, oh yeah, they are not they are not afraid. I mean, hey, maybe Jeff Solomon comes in and just <sighs> fingers crossed. Fingers I don't crossed. know. I, I feel just, like I might, I might be overrating him. I haven't really ju- just yeah. continually sending out emails about aging curves. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I don't know. Looking at this class again, having scrolled through it a few times, it's a big stay away for me. There's just the Ducks in this era of the flat cap need to just hang on to that cap space. And as you've said in the past, weaponize it and just be ready to pounce on an opportunity if it presents yep. itself. And uh, speaking of that, don't needlessly commit. Speaking of that, I mean, do you think the ducks weaponize or use that cap space to get a Jack Eichel or, and the reason I bring that up is uh, I had a couple DMS and depending on how the jets Oilers game goes tonight, uh, the fact that the Oilers could potentially be swept by the Jets. And if Connor McDavid somehow requests a trade, do you move heaven and earth to get him? Well, yeah, I, I, that, that's kind of like the, that's the like sanity test, right? It, yeah. It's like in football, if Aaron Rodgers is available, you pick up the phone no matter what. It's the same thing in hockey. If, if Connor McDavid is available, Would you, you pick trade- up the phone. Trade Zegras, Drysdale, and whatever else needs to get done for Connor McDavid. Would you use yes. Zegras, Drysdale, and the first overall pick? It's Connor McDavid. Yeah, no. He's, I, he, I'm he's just the, throwing this out there for he's, you. He's the best player in the NHL. Would the Oilers do that? Well, if you're in a position where you, you know he wants out, you kind of have to take the best deal available. And if that's, yeah, if that's on call- the upper- Fire Carlisle with a good point. Uh, McDavid wouldn't waive his no movement clause. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't have a no movement clause. He nope. can't. Nope. He can't. He can't have a no movement clause because you cannot have those until you are in your UFA years. So he's in a similar situation as Jack Eichel. Yeah, I mean, it would just I think suck for Ducks fans to see Trevor Zegers go to Edmonton and become a star. But it's Connor again, McDavid. 
Edmonton is not has not been kind to star players, and it's Connor McDavid. He's twenty four, and like McDavid, McDavid is the best player in the in the world. Exactly, and yeah, it sucks that you give up Seagrass and Drysdale, but you're getting the best player in the world, and that opens up options. That's kind of to me the the argument for getting Jack Eichel is that even if you lose out on a Zegris, a pick, and Contois, or some kind of version of that medley, having Jack Eichel on your team, in theory, should give you options, right? Because at that point, all you need to do is surround him, yeah. make it work, and your ceiling goes up. Connor right? McDavid on his own can make could make the Ducks a playoff team, basically. Right. And I don't know, do we see Zegris getting to the point where he's as good as Jack Eichel? Do you... Do I see Zegers? I was going to say he's definitely not McDavid, obviously. No, I mean, no one is. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe Jack Eichel, maybe. And that's, it's, the, it's and so that's, why, that's why I would be hesitant to move him for Eichel, is that he could potentially be at that same level of a, a 70, 80-point uh, producer, maybe at a point per game in the NHL. Maybe. But, like, that seems – that's the best-case scenario, right? Like, that's – Yeah. But and, the, the, the other question that's kind of out there is – would McDavid's uh, trade? Uh, would McDavid being available for a trade lower the market for Eichel? Yes, it would because and make that- and make it smart to to and also DB Lowry points out and this is something people have mentioned and I don't know how much I actually agree with this but Eichel does have that injury now and so that may limit lower his trade value in some way. Here's the thing though, and now this is getting into not really that rational or logical. I'm going to put that aside for a second. Trevor Zegers is a star in the making. He has the personality. Everybody seems to love him. He He's a star on the ice. He's already productive as a rookie, as a rookie center. He's just a guy who I think is going to be... He's going to be a guy that people pay to, to go watch at the Honda Agreed. Center. Agreed. And I just think that giving that up, even if maybe it's the right thing to do, would just... Oh, it'd be hard. So, something about it for, just for Connor McDavid. Right for Connor McDavid, yes. you do it. For Connor McDavid, yes, because he's the best player in the world. But for anything below that, I don't know. I it just maybe I'm drinking the Kool Aid. Maybe I'm overrating Zegras based on a small sample. Maybe he's not going to be that. But he's done nothing to dissuade me from that opinion so far. If yeah. anything, he's made me more of a believer. Yeah, and and that's why I kind of just. Again, maybe irrational, maybe illogical. I kind of just want to see it through. I want to see it happen in Anaheim. I want to see I want to see them have another star. I think it would just be good for this market to have a, a player. And look, maybe Jack Eichel comes in and is that and instantly replaces that. But there's just something to the homegrown star, right, that, that you just can't replace. And yep. it would just be cool to see. Yep. Would you do Matty Veneers plus something for, for Eichel? Sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. Of course. That, yes. <laughs> so that that's what I've been wondering is if the Ducks win first overall, would they trade that for Eichel? And essentially, your Buffalo will then have potentially number one and number two overall. Yes. Yes, because I mean, if you have Eichel and Zegers, you're does, in, does you're Buffalo does Buffalo do that? What would I you mean, have to add to make it work? I mean, it it just feels like they're going to have to trade Max Contois to get. Um, oh, I yeah, and I do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, and I would do that too, as much as I like the season. For, is a first is a first in Comtois enough? No, no, hell no. You you have to add in something else. If first, not, first two, two plus Comtois plus Manson. Yes, I if I'm the Ducks, I I'm, do that. I'm just I'm just throwing things out there to see what I understand. The Ducks would do that. Do you think Buffalo does that? 
I, it all depends on what the offers are on the table for them. Yeah. Because but, I think that that's lo- looking at where, where they're at. I don't know if they want to be bad again. I, I think they want to get back into the picture. And that's why I think getting, giving them the first to get first and second overall mm-hmm. two guys that could potentially jump in the NHL right away. Then you give up, and we've talked about that. I don't think bringing Eichel makes that much sense for the Ducks, but I think if you can do it without losing one of Zegers or Drysdale, I think you you try to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you can do it with the the first whatever the the first round pick is this year, um, and uh, then Comtois Comtois gives them a guy who was the leading goal scorer on the Ducks, leading leading point getter on the Ducks this past year, mm-hmm. and Manson gives them a heavy. A uh, heavy modern day right hand, heavy oh, defenseman. Oh. Oh. Yep, yep, yep. Going, that's, going. That, that's where he's at. Yep, that that's where it's at. So, <laughs> okay. uh, I I do that. Uh, DB Lowry asked, "Would it be smarter for the Ducks to target Reinhardt instead of Eichel?" I don't really have strong opinions on Reinhardt. Let, I don't let's, either. Let's see a player card. I, I that, was exact, card. that was exact. That was because he's been a name that's kind of been in the trade market. Some people saying that he's the better player to pick up in terms of. Uh, value that you get in terms of uh, that that what sounds kind of crazy. Up. In terms of what you would have to give up, yes. In terms of pure value, sure. Um, I mean, Sam Reinhardt's good, so it might make sense that he's twenty five. The thing is, I think he he's a free agent this off season, so I don't RFA, know what you're, RFI RFA. But to qualify him, you're gonna have to pay at least five point two. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it would depend what you have to give up. Yeah, I, don't, this, I mean, this the, is this is kind of a something I'm thought too much about. Looking so. looking at his player card, he's a guy that's more so it, where his value has come for the Ducks is essentially or not the Ducks for the the Sabers is in the defensive zone. He's not a guy that's really driven offense, and so he's a guy that I think certainly helps them out and gives them a, a yeah. better type of talent. But he's not exactly helping out this team that struggles to score. Yeah, again, if I'm the Ducks. And unless I'm making a selling type move, I'm not really looking to bring in these kind of guys who aren't really stars. I'm either looking to get a star or selling. Those are to me the only two modes that I'm really looking at in the offseason. I guess to round out the offseason plan, uh, do you come back next year with the same coaching staff? I clean house next year. I would have cleaned house this summer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... I, I think that that's a given, which is why I didn't really include that in here. Okay, well, do you want to do you want to go into questions? Because that's that's all I've got. This was this was pretty thorough. Yeah. I'm, so if I'm anyone has if anyone has some questions, throw them into the Twitch chat. But so those of you watching on YouTube, uh, yes, we're on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com/slash/CrashThePond uh, or your favorite podcast services. We do this live each and every time at Twitch.tv/CrashThePond. Typically Sunday, today, Monday. Who knows when it will be next week? We'll discuss and put it out there. Uh, whether we do another Sunday or maybe we do a Memorial Day. Monday's Memorial Day, right? I don't know. That's Episode? that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a tough one. Well, we'll we'll figure it out. Is there it, might be some recovering going on? Well, we'll figure it out. We'll so see. it's not, it sounds as if Monday is more likely than Sunday next week <laughs> from from that conversation. But regardless, uh, back to the point. Uh, you can find us at twitch.tv slash crash the pond where you can help support the show. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after thirty days. Uh, and it does help out the show significantly. You get special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name. Um, and yeah. Um, by the way, the draft lottery is, is that next Wednesday? Might be. Is that, has that come up that quick? And I've just completely, uh, missed that. Well, the month of May is over soon. 
So, yeah, that that is kind of crazy to me. Let's see, NHL draft June second. No, that was yeah June second. Unless I'm getting that way wrong. NHL draft. Where where see, is news? This? You got to go Google News on this. When is the NHL draft lottery? I've got the sporting news open. Uh, Wednesday, let's... June second. So yeah, that a week could be from, our watch along. A week from Wednesday. Well, that could be our watch along for the month of June. There you go. Let oh, us know. Right. Let us let us know, people, if you want that, or in our in our page, Patreon Discord, or if we, you want that to be the watch along, or, or we just or do we that on just, Twitch. We could just do a stream. Yeah, as is tradition at this point. Yeah, we We've could got just two do years that. running. We could do that. That's probably the okay. better route. Um. So, question from Ginger Wolf said, "What are the top three things each of you are looking forward to uh, in the Ducks twenty one twenty two season?" I am top three. Let's. Do you want to do a cumulative three? Sure. Or do you want to go three each? Because I feel like three each may take a while. <laughs> Let's do cumulative. Cumulative three. I'll give you one. Trevor Zegras. Simple. A full season s- of Trevor Zegras at center. Why'd you have to steal that one? Why'd you okay, have to I'll, go there? I'll give you another no, one. That, no, no, no. I, I, I'll, okay. I'll, uh, Lucas Dostel making his NHL debut. You think he's going to play in the NHL? Sure. I mean, he he might just because maybe yeah. one of Gibson or Stolarz gets hurt. That gets that's exactly up. that's exactly what I'm thinking. I am excited to see. This is number three for me, or our cumulative three. I'm just excited to see where this goes. I feel like next season, for better or worse, is going to decide a lot of things. This season should have decided everything, but it won't. Clearly, I think that next season is going to be interesting because if the Ducks are good, which I don't think they will, but if let's say the Ducks are competitive. If they, if they, what the heck, make the playoffs, if they squeeze in or if they're close, is the, does the gang get, get brought back? Does this Murray and co is Aikens? Is everybody back? Is, does everybody get extended? Do, do we see a mid season firing for the ducks next year? So that's the thing. And this is the flip side of that coin is if things go real sour, if things go real bad, the Samuelis don't have to care anymore about it's much more. Guys. It's much more palatable to fire a guy with six months left as compared to a year and a half. Exactly. And so that's where maybe we see a firing. If like, you know, Aikens talked about the negativity of this team that could very well happen again. And I could definitely see a scenario where they just have to, someone just has to go just to kind of air things out. And, you know, based on what, Oh, you know, and, and just based on the Jeff Solomon thing, it's hard to believe that he would have left LA to Anaheim with no thought, with no guarantee without a promise of some future opportunity. Like, the, so, yeah. The, Cause I mean, let me just be frank here. I don't necessarily see the Samuelis as being someone to outbid uh, the Anschultz group. Yeah, in, exactly. In terms of a guy that is clearly valued by the Kings. I think this is a chess move by Solomon because he's probably been, I think he's been promised something and that could mean that if things go real sour, maybe that the, they just clean house mid season, who knows? But anyway, all this to say to round out the three, I'm just, it's like a, it's like a potential car accident waiting to happen. I just, I want to see what happens. It's like following a show. You want to see how it gets. Sorry. I'm going to give my fourth one for me to make it. (laughs) We each get two. Okay. The reuniting of Getzloff, Perry and Bobby Ryan. (laughs) Oh, you wish that happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm so, so excited. 
Uh, shouts to Duxco for giving us uh, a thousand bits. So thank you, you so do. much. He thinks that we don't believe in our scouting and we don't understand the 2022 draft class in 2023 and we aren't trading Comtois. Uh, the Ducks could very well be bad next year. Neither of us have talked about trading the 2022 or 2023 first round picks. I think the Ducks should hold on to both of those. Yes. They without a doubt. 100% should. Yes. And I don't the, think a lot of people are going to be trading those. And the reason why the Ducks should be trading Comtois is basically he had so a ridiculous... He, yeah, sell high. Ridiculously high shooting percentage. There's potential that it could become sustainable long-term, but there's also potential that he ends up going cold and essentially is what Raquel is without the shot volume. Yeah, I, I'm a little higher on Contois than you are, but yeah, that's a possibility, and that's the argument for trading him. Yep, and so I think that's probably going to do it for us today. Wow, this is record time for us. This is uh, below the two-hour mark, which which we've been vilified for. We have been. We will get into that in a second. <laughs> we haven't really been that vilified. No, it, it was. A, I think it was a healthy, a healthy it, comment. It well, was. Okay. Well, I, I guess. Did you have anything else you want to say? You have. We have a little window here. Get, get it all out. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I want to go and watch the Oilers Jets game that's in overtime right now. Yeah, I'm gonna go watch the Habs Leafs game that I still have no idea what happened. So nobody, nobody spoil in the Twitch chat. I'm not looking at the chat, so you you can spoil it. It, it doesn't matter. So, so wait, you just said I can spoil it for you? No, you can't. The chat can because I can't see it. So there you go. God. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I guess that's going to do it for us tonight, guys. This was a fun show. I enjoyed this one. Hopefully you did too. If you enjoy what we do here, if you enjoy uh, the podcast, there's a few different ways that you can support us. The biggest one, and we've mentioned it a few times already, is our Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash crash the pond so for one dollar a month you get access to our patrons only discord chat which is just so much fun it's where you can connect with other diehard fans shoot the shit you can talk about hockey right we have a hockey channel we also have just a general chat both are fun and it's just a healthy place that is kind of rare on the internet especially if you're uh, a heavy twitter user you know how toxic that can get so it's just a fun harmonious environment where everybody's just trying to have a good time so that's for one dollar a month for five dollars a month you get access to that and two bonus episodes so if you enjoy this show if you want to hear more of it if you want to hear maybe if you enjoy kind of like the banter the back and forth the lighter side of it you definitely get that on the bonus episodes but we also go more in depth we talk about the ducks in even greater depth than we do on this show and we also do league-wide rankings we pick our awards every year we do uh playoff predictions and especially this time of year, those, that $5 tier is, is a good deal just because we get out some of my favorite ones, which are playoff heavy. Uh, and then for $15 a month, uh, so you get access to everything I just talked about. And you also get access to two live watch alongs every month. And so for those during the regular season, we do a live broadcast of Ducks games. We give you a live commentary feed during the Ducks game. And then the off season, we're going to do playoff games uh, or the Ducks off season. We're going to do playoff games. And then as the offseason wears on, the Stanley Cup playoffs subside. We'll probably do past Ducks games. We'll do different things to, to spice that one up. Maybe we'll we'll do the draft on there. Who knows? But we are it, it's a good tier. It's it's full value, and we really do appreciate it. That's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, another way that you can support us, which is totally free, uh, just search Crash the Pond on Apple Podcasts, and you can leave us there a rating and a review. And we promise to read it on the show. And so we're going to stay true to that here. Uh, this one comes from Anna Ducks 7 
out of this out of the philippines so thank you so much shout out shout out to the philippines this is our first review from the philippines so i'm uh very thankful to hear that someone over there is listening to us uh so this is the title of the review a nice podcast and this by the way five stars so thank you for the five stars a nice podcast that could use a shorter runtime i love this podcast that discusses the ducks my only concern is that it runs way too long for a podcast I would be listening to more episodes if they ran for an hour or less. Fair critique, Anna Duck 7. Fair critique. Personally, the way that we structure our show, we're a weekly show, and we have to cover a lot of ground. We have to cover a lot of topics. And so it's hard to condense all of that into one hour, especially given how Jake and I both are pretty verbose, pretty can be long-winded. And so we're not necessarily good at at, at keeping it short. Neither of us are good at ending things. (laughs) <laughs> as we are going on right now and why we had a two and a half hour episode last week. Well, that was, that was uh, because of the player grades. Actually, I, I listened back to that episode. No, the think... last like 30 or 40 minutes last, like, no, not 30 last, like 10, 20 minutes was not anything. I think about the ducks. What crushed us was how long we talked about David McNabb. That, that really was the one that, that crushed us anyway. Uh, but Hey, constructive criticism. We're here for it. We appreciate yep, the definitely. kind words and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to keep it tighter, keep it tight. Uh, yeah. But it's probably still going to be over an hour and a half. I'm sorry. Yeah. Although I do want to put this out there. If any of you are kind of in that same boat and not that we would do this, we probably are just going to keep this to once a, once a week. But if you have any like suggestions for formats, we're more than open to listening and hearing, yeah. hearing them. So yeah, let like, us know if you would prefer twice a week at an hour each for each of them or prefer this at once a week for an hour and a half. Um yeah, we, and, and, we, and we've the, just found that this works the best with our schedule, with everything we do with Patreon also. Yeah, and also, I mean, look, if one person wanted to say this and put it out there, there's probably a few more that think this. So just let us know. Like, we're, we, can, we can handle it. <laughs> Ken Pafu <laughs> says, go back to after every game. Yeah, yeah, that, that was super sustainable. That, that, that was the best one. Uh, oh, outside, by, outside. by the way, by the way Ken, Pafu, Ken Pafu says, Habs and Leafs decided they just wanted to play for fun and not keep score. I almost, I almost just lost it there. I was just gonna be like, really? My heart, my heart dropped. You just had to do that to me. Don't blame me. Blame him. I asked him. I was like, do I have to read this to terrify Felix? Well, you didn't. You didn't have to read it. You could have kept. He, it to he said yes. You know, I'm loyal to our listeners. Okay. Okay. Well, I need to end this fast. Uh, okay. Check us out on YouTube. YouTube.com/slash/CrashThePawn. You get to see the video version of this feed get to see salem the black cat on jake's camera you you get to see my usually gray t-shirt you know it's a it's a great it's a great addition the video element that's on youtube uh we're also on spotify check us out there go to crashthepond.com read jake's article bookmark it because yes, as the, yes as the um a lot of good info in there as the exp- yeah as the expansion draft approaches you're gonna want you're gonna want to have that just memorized so that you don't have to and you can be the person who's answering questions because there's mm-hmm. always someone who's not not sure how this works. And I mean, rightfully so. It's kind of complicated. Um, that's You can also find us on social media at Crash the Pond is on Twitter. Also on Facebook. Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. Follow him. And I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. So that is going to do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. And we will talk to you at the next show. Have a good one. Bye.